Let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do come to you now as we once again have the privilege of looking into your word. And Lord, how privileged we are that you've given us this written revelation of your truth. And Lord, that we are a privileged generation that have it in so readily available to us to read, to study. We know there were many years that the church did not have your word in the common man's language. But Lord, we do. And Lord, I pray that we would value your word, that we would study your word, and Lord, that we would just allow your Holy Spirit to take your word and uh, apply it to our lives. Lord, we desire that our lives increasingly reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to those who so desperately need to see him. Lord, we live in a world that desperately needs to see Christ. And yet, many continue to reject him. Now, Lord, we look for your Spirit's work in each of our hearts this morning as we move forward through Colossians. Open our hearts and minds to the truths you would have us to learn. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, again, we're continuing on through Colossians. We're getting near the end. We probably have a couple more uh, weeks after this uh, till we uh, finish it up. I will say that we are planning after this to uh, take on, uh, again, the principles of spiritual growth. It's been a few years since uh, Aaron taught through the book. Uh, we felt it would be worthwhile taking time to go through it again. If you know uh, different ones who could really benefit from that study, I would say encourage them uh, to... Uh, make the time uh, to join with us because uh, it's a study that can really impact your understanding of the Christian life. Now, of course, we've been going through Colossians. And each week I've kind of pointed out that the overarching theme that pulls this letter together is that the Christian life finds its sole source in Jesus Christ who is preeminent over all things. That Christ brings everything we need for the Christian life. The Colossians were being confronted by those who were coming in and saying they needed something else. Some were looking to the Greek wisdom, others early forms of the Gnostic knowledge. Others were going back to the rules and regulations of the Mosaic law. And Paul is saying none of those things can add to the work of Christ. He, he very early in the letter, spends time looking at who Christ is. And there's so much more to Christ than many uh, seem to understand. Most Christians see him certainly as the one who took on humanity and died for our sins. But Paul argues, you know, that there's so much more. Yes, that was part of who Christ is. But he is also the image of the invisible God. And that the term image has to do with in him that which was invisible became visible. 
that he was an accurate manifestation of God. And then he talked about his role in creation, that all things came from him, all things were created by him, all things were created for him, all things are sustained uh, by him. And then his relationship to the new creation. And he is the very beginning of the new creation life. He is the head of it. All this is embodied in Christ. There is no one who could possibly add anything to what he brings. Now we're... (coughs) Excuse me. We're in the section of the letter where Paul is bringing things down to a very practical level. And he's, you know, he's uh, early in this uh, section of the letter, which deals with living on the basis of Christ's sufficiency and how it impacts us in some very practical ways. Very early on, he talked about putting off the old man and putting on the new. We have a new creation life. And I talked about the fact that whereas the old man is very much a self, a very much an independent life, the new man is one that is lived in union with Christ. It has a symbiotic relationship with Christ. It cannot function apart from Christ. And so really everything in this section, all of the instructions and imperatives and things that that Paul sets forth, they're all resting on the foundation of putting off the old and putting on the new. And I've pointed out all too often what happens is people get into this section of the letter and and sometimes people just jump to this section. Skip over all that other stuff. You know, I want to get down to what's practical, what's going to change my life, you know. And they get to looking at this and what they try to do is they try to change the old Adamic life. They try to make it look like what's being described here. Rather than learning to live their life in union with Christ, abiding in Him, His Word abiding in them. And this becomes critical in the section we're going to be dealing with today. Because we're going to be dealing with the issue of family relationships. Uh, The wife's relationship to her husband, the husband's relationship to his wife, children's relationship to their parents, parents' relationship to their children. It's an important section, but we have to keep in mind that everything Paul is describing here comes back to us putting on that new man. Not trying to change the old man. And make it look that way. If you don't grasp that, a lot of what's said in this section will really uh, get your hackles up. You know, I'm treading today where angels fear to go on some of this. 
Now, you know, the other week I read this statement. It was by Miles Stanford, but it's important as we move into what we're looking at today. It says, in that there are two distinct natures seeking expression by means of our as yet unredeemed body. We must keep them separated in our thinking. In itself, the old nature is ever strong to do evil. Only by the Spirit is the new nature strong to bring forth righteousness. We must be relying upon the Holy Spirit. These things are not something we can produce. Like I, like I said several weeks ago, the new man is not a new self. It's not a new independent uh, uh, nature. It is a nature that relies upon Christ and that the uh, Holy Spirit has got to produce in us. Now we also have to bear in mind that while we gain this new nature which is in union with Christ, we gain it in an infant form. It's not omniscient. (laughs) It doesn't know all things. It has to be, has to grow up in its knowledge and its understanding. And that's where I think what we're looking at today will come into play and what we've looked at the past few weeks. We need the instruction of the Word of God to show us how this new life is meant to be lived out. Now we can't do that through our own strength. We've got to constantly look to the Lord to enable us. Because it won't come naturally. Now when we get into what we're looking at today with family relationship, it's important to realize that even in putting, on the old, putting off the old and putting on the new, there still are, you know, things that are true of us as men and women, that there are gender differences that God created. Now I realize we live in a world that wants to say we evolved. And so they want to throw gender differences out the window. We were created by God. And he created us each in our own, you know, uh, in the way he wanted our gender to function. And we have to keep that in mind. Now, we pick up, well, you know, Paul up to this point has been citing examples of a a lot of different ways that putting off the old and putting on the new will look. And he's talked about you know, humility and gentleness and kindness and, and uh, a lot of these things. But now, he jumps into examples of how this is intended to show itself within our family relationships. And I think he takes on issues that are of utmost and complete importance. They have a whole lot to do with what is going to enable us to function in a marriage in a way that honors and glorifies God and uh, with our children in a way that honors and glorifies God. 
Now, with he starts out with wives. He had to start with one or the other, so he chose to start with wives. And he, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And with regards to wives, he states that one of the very significant ways that putting off the old and putting on the new is intended to show itself is in a submissive attitude towards their husband. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now here the translators choose to use the word subject. The same Greek word uh, is translated in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 5 as being submissive. In Ephesians 5.24, it's uh, once again uh, translated subject. Um, in Ephesians 5.33, wives are told to respect their husbands. And the word translated subject here was primarily a military term. It was to rank under. And Paul is telling us here that as the believing wife puts off the old man and puts on the new. She is to place herself in a ranking under her husband in, with regards to his authority. And in reality, this is an act of service to God. In a sense, it's also an act of service to her husband, but it's first and foremost an act of service to God. Willfully choosing to rank under her husband, not in importance, but in actions. And that's important to keep in mind. You know, again, God created our gender differences. And along with our gender differences come different gender needs. Um, a fellow by the name of Emerson Egerix, he's written uh, a couple of books, uh, one uh, Love and Respect and the other The Language of Love and Respect. And he talks about how, and, and I mean he's got had degrees in, in biblical studies and in counseling and, and, they, and he said for years he struggled in his own marriage and he struggled in, counts, in a lot of his counseling situations until one day he, it really struck him that Ephesians 5.33 really defined for us the difference in what men need and what women need. Because their husbands are told to love their wives and wives are said to respect their husband. And he said he came to realize that the deep need of the deepest need of men and women are different. Now we both need love and respect, but men largely need respect. They will more willingly live without love than to live without respect. Women, vice versa, while they they want respect, love is the, the dominant thing. 
and it surfaces all over and over again. And, you know, Emerson points out that we live in a a love-dominated society. It's all about love. Rather than recognizing that there is a difference in the way God designed us. Because, first of all, they don't want to believe that there's God. But there's a difference in the way that God designed us. And we're going to, as we'll move forward, we'll see that husbands are going to be told to love their wife. And most women grasp the fact that that love is to be unconditional. But what a lot of them don't want to, don't grasp, is that respect is unconditional. Now, let me read a quote from Emerson Egeritz. Unconditional respect, like unconditional love, is all about how one sounds, tone of voice, word choice, and appears, facial expressions and physical action. You know, he's not saying, look, that a woman's got to feel respectful about everything and that thing. But it's saying she needs to come across, when dealing with her husband, in a respectful way. Because disrespect doesn't go well. In fact, you know... Uh, Some of you might want to get hold of the book, but, you know, he talks about getting in the crazy cycle. He says, you know, if a woman disrespects her husband, he acts unlovingly. Again, generally it's on the flesh side. And when he acts unlovingly, she acts more disrespectfully. And when she acts more disrespectfully... Uh, He acts more unlovingly. And it goes round and round and round and round and round and round and round. Until one of them is willing to take the step to stop it. (laughs) But, you know, this is why God designed us in a certain way. And He has designed an order within the marriage. Now Paul here says, you know, Paul doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because your husbands are more capable. A lot of times they aren't. I've known marriages where the woman was way more capable than the man. He doesn't say uh, to do so because the husband is of greater value because he isn't. He doesn't say to do so because the husband is more important because he's not. He says to do so because it is fitting to the Lord. Fitting to the Lord. Now why is it fitting or proper? Well, I think there's several reasons. First of all, it's fitting or proper because when God created marriage, He did so with an order in the design. You only have to go back to, you know, Genesis to see that, you know, he created an order. He created uh, the woman to come alongside the man as a helper fit for him. It's also fitting because the man and the woman in community is intended to show forth the very image of God. 
It's not just the man that shows forth the image of God. It's the man and woman in community that show the the image of God. There is submission within the Godhead. We've got to understand that. Very clearly seen during Christ's time here on the earth. Where repeatedly he made it known. I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. There in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, Father, if it be possible for this cup to pass from me, let's go there, but not my will, but yours. Over and over again, He shows submission. And it's also fitting because the wife's relationship to the husband is intended to picture the church's relationship to Christ. We as the church are Christ's bride. And as the church, we are to function in a submissive role to Him. So within the marriage bond, which is meant to picture our relationship with Christ, this is the way it's to be lived out. Now I've heard people say before, that if the husband's being truly loving to his wife, she will not have any problem submitting. That's an untrue statement. And you know how I know it? Because Christ is absolutely loving to us, and we still struggle with submitting. You can't be more loving than Christ is to us, and we still struggle. Because, again, the old man, and and all too often we fall off into that, the old man always wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to submit to no one. That's his very nature. And you know, the more we come to understand this thing of the old man and the new, the more it can have a positive impact on our marriage. I know we had friends in Ireland, they said understanding this is what saved their marriage. Because they began to realize their conflicts were in the realm of the old man. That it was the selfish nature of the old man that was dividing their marriage. And as they began to be able to say to each other, you know, you know, I'm sorry, I stepped over into the old. And my old man stinks. And I want to pick up and go on with us, you know, on the basis of our new life in Christ and to move forward in that realm. That it explained so much to them to begin to draw that distinction between the two natures. Yeah. And didn't it draw them so much towards the Lord because they saw that they could not do this. They even their natures lean towards, you know, love or respect in their marriage. Yeah. And so it had to be, it, they, they could not do it yeah. apart from Christ in them. Yeah. So it did so much, not only, well, first of all, for their desperate 
uh, marriage, but also for their relationship to Christ as they, first of all, began to abide in Him and wanted their marriage to show forth Christ and allowed the, all this stuff of the old man to begin to not choose to go there. Yeah. And what, what He did that they could never do. Yeah. And yeah. it changed everything. Yeah, it did very much uh, for them. And so, again, this is this putting off the old and putting on the new is incredibly practical. If we really understand it, it can make huge differences uh, in the way we see each other, in the way we we deal with each other. You know, I used to say, uh, say to my students, you know, Joan Allen and I do pretty well as long as only one of us gets in the flesh at a time. It's when we both get in the flesh at the same time that the fur begins to fly. Uh, <laughs> you know, as long as it's just one of us, the other one can graciously, you know, continue to uh, reach out to the other, you know. As God through and Christ do to us. But when we both jump over in the flesh, then it's both, you know, you and I and this and that, you know, it's, it, it, that's where the problem comes. But, you know, the more we've grown in the Lord, the quicker we are to recognize the fact that we just stepped over into this old realm in which there is no good thing. Now, I think when it comes to this issue of submission too, it's very, very important to realize that in the scriptures, submission is never presented as a sign of weakness. Christ's submission to the Father does not indicate that he was less than the Father in any way. Likewise, the wife's submission does not indicate weaknesses. In fact, it takes a spiritually mature wife to be able to submit in heart as well as in actions. A flesh can submit in action, just won't do it in heart. It may outwardly put on the appearance of doing what, what the husband desired, but in the heart, there's not submission. I used to share with my students, one of the people I have most admired in life was my dad's older sister. She was the first one to come to know the Lord in their family. She is one of the most capable people I have ever known. She worked for the township up there in Pennsylvania. When she retired, they had to hire two women, two younger women, to do her job. Because they could not find a single one that could do everything she was doing. She was very involved in the church. I know they'd have big dinners at her house. And yet when you were with her, you felt she was 100% with you. She was an incredible woman. She married a man who was nowhere near her equal. 
I think most people who knew them would say that. But she was nothing but respectful to him. And even after he died, she spoke of him with total respect. Did that diminish her in my sight? No. It caused me to admire her as a person. To think that she could be so very, very capable and yet trust the Lord with her husband. She'll remain at the top of my list of people I've looked up to in my life. So I'm here to tell you, you know, following the Lord in this isn't going to diminish you. It won't. The world views it that way. But if but in the spiritual realm it will not diminish you. People can see the difference. And so this is what Paul calls the wife to. Now I will say there are limits. It doesn't mean that a woman's got to stay in a physically abusive marriage or, or something. You know, there are limits. Can we live in a sin-cursed world? Just like there are limits to our, our submission to government. Christ pointed out, I think, uh, the, an important distinction when, you know, they, they came to him and said, asked them whether they should pay taxes to Caesar. And he says, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. And he says, whose picture is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The point here is that government has been given certain bounds. As long as they're within their bounds, we're to submit. When they step outside of those bounds, it's another matter. Uh, an example was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were uh, told to bow down and worship the image. W- worship belongs to God. Nebuchadnezzar tried to take what belonged to God. And as Christ said, you give to Caesar what Caesar's give to God, what God's. When Daniel was told to pray only uh, to Darius, he disobeyed. Because Darius was asking for what belonged to God. Husbands have been given a, ba- you know, a certain uh, bound, a boundary that is their realm. But if a husband starts telling his wife she can't study the scriptures, that she can't do this, you know, shouldn't be praying, shouldn't be... He's stepped outside of his realm. So there are limits. But there are more exceptions than they are the rule. And at times we want to throw the exceptions up and focus on the exceptions rather than focusing on what the primary instruction is. Rich, do you mind if I give an example? Do we have time? Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to share this with y'all. I share this fairly often. And not that all of you should share these sort of things. So mm. I'm so comfortable doing this and others are not. But in the realm of, you know, when you each live out your role it's not a fact it's not a matter of well if I do this for her or for him 
then they'll treat me right. It's not that. It's just, Lord, enable me to minister to this husband, to this husband, this wife that you have given me. And what I wanted to tell you was, early on, when I, I, I shared this, when I was a little girl, I was abused uh, some. And so I was very wounded and damaged in a lot of ways. When I married Rick, I didn't tell him about it. But after we got married, it just was an issue for me. And I, you know, when we taught this at the school and uh, had some opportunities just with some of the young guys and men, I said, guys, you know what? What did work for me than anything? Rick just <coughs> loved me and loved me and loved me. And he won me. He won me. And after that, I could believe that his love for me was pure, right, and good. And that no one would ever harm me like that again. And it was just an incredible thing. And then what do you think it did for me? It did make it easier. And, and all to submit to him. Now, it, you know, if you go in the way, maybe the wife's going to be the first one. Somebody's got to start. And it might be the wife that starts showing him submission, even when he doesn't deserve it. Like, I didn't deserve that. Rick didn't do anything to me. It wasn't fair that I, that he, I was afraid of things between us and stuff. He just did what God called man to do and it and wanted. So, you know, someone has to start. And don't think of yourself as a martyr because it, it paid off again and again. Years later I remembered something else that had happened to me. And Rick just said one day, is there anything God just gave him this? Anything that you could you need to deal with or say? And I blurted it out. And you know, he could have said, you should have told me this, or I can't believe that he just held me and we cried and we cried. And I screamed and cried because I was so wounded. This was, uh, but again, just that security that is there when this person decides, I'm going to love you unconditionally. No, I didn't do this to you, so why am I suffering for it? But just ministering to you pays incredible dividends mm. and glorifies God. Well. And it was such an example to me. And don't you figure that it made me respect him more? That he would do that mm. for me. So there's all kinds of examples, mm. but I just thought we gotta understand that somebody's got to start and he started when I when I didn't or couldn't whatever word you want to use. And it, it made it, it changed everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to talk to the students too about the fact that God is the catalyst in our marriage. You know, if any of you had chemistry, a catalyst enables two things that otherwise would not combine to actually combine. <laughs> but the catalyst isn't changed. God is the catalyst in our relationship. He, he brings two very different genders together and enables them to blend into one. And God isn't changed, but we are. 
through him being in the, the center of our relationship. I also used to say any good marriage is a trinity. The husband, the wife, and God. And if you take God out of it, the oneness will never come. It won't. Now, Paul next addresses husbands, and we won't get through all this today, which is okay. Pick up with it next time. Uh, But he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, first of all, husbands need to notice that Paul does not say to husbands that as you live out your new life in Christ, make certain your wife submits. You know, we're bad about reading what God says to the other party. Wives want to read, husbands, you need to love me. Husbands want to say, woman, you need to submit. You know, both are wrong. A wife's submission to her husband is between her and the Lord. It is her act of service to God by serving her husband in a way that ministers to a very deep need in his heart and life. And the husband is to love his wife unconditionally. As an act of service to the Lord. And as an act of service to his wife. Who desperately longs for that love. And it's, you know, interesting to note, again, if you ask a lot of Christian men what their primary responsibility is might say something, well, it's to be the head of the home or to lead the family. And that's true, but it's not the primary emphasis in Scripture. The primary emphasis on the husband is love your wife. That's the primary emphasis. In reality, yes, God wants the man to lead the home. But in a sense, it's up to the wife to make him a leader by being a follower. We used to have a regional director in, in Europe who had this quote regarding leadership. He says, if you think you're a leader and you look back and no one's following, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> and you know, a lot of women will say, oh, I want my husband to be a spiritual leader, but then she doesn't want to follow His leadership, she wants to tell him how to lead. And very quickly, I'm not saying rightly, but very quickly the man oftentimes, well then, just throw up his hands and say forget it. Because he begins feeling like a failure at leadership and and then uh, rather than lose respect, he'll just give up. So the wife, in a sense, makes her husband a leader by choosing to follow him. But the husband is to love his wife. 
In Ephesians 5, 25, it says that the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the church. <coughs> In verse 28, he says that the husband is to love the wife as their own bodies. 1 Peter 3, 7 says that a man or two husbands are to put, place a value on their wife and live with them in an understanding way. He doesn't use the word love, but he pretty much describes it. Because the word love that's used in these passages is agape. Which we've talked about in earlier studies. It's a value-driven action. And of course, that's what Peter described. See your wife as having value... And seek to understand her. Seek to understand what she needs. Again, the new life has the capacity to live out this love. But it has to be educated. It's not omniscient. A couple of good books that we found that we used with... uh, uh, Premarital counseling was for men only and for women only. And for men only, basically, looks at women and what their needs are. And uh, it's written by a Christian couple. It's not primarily a Christian book. It's a Christian couple. But they uh, also uh, did a lot of surveys. And so for men only, they surveyed thousands of women across different races and cultures. And found that certain things... Const- uh, certain answers were constantly there as to needs and, and issues. And when you start seeing that there is a consistency across the gender, it tends to say, this is the way God created this gender, and we need to understand it. And learn to, you know, minister to. And the, for women only, it does the same thing with uh, looking at men. Thousands of, of interviews, thousands of questionnaires, looking at what, uh, you know, is pretty uh, consistently true of men. And so, you know, if I'm going to love my wife... As Christ loved the church, I've got to be willing to try to come to understand her. And understand what speaks love to her. Again, in in, uh, the book Love and Respect, in the language of love and respect, you know, he talks about things that speak love to the woman and speak respect to the man. And they aren't the same. And where we run into problems is we tend to treat our spouse at times the way we would want to be treated. We go by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That would work if we did it on the right level. If I said, you know, I want my wife to meet my deepest need, so I am going to strive to meet her deepest need. Then I'd be on the right uh, path. But if, if I want to treat her like a fellow man and she wants to treat me like a fellow woman, it ain't going to work. 
You know how many men have gotten in trouble by talking to their wife in a certain way and she gets upset. And you, well, I talk to my friends that way. They're men. You can get away with talking to men that way. You can't get away with talking to a wife that way. She's different. Love is about coming to understand the needs of that other person and being willing to sacrificially minister to those needs. Now it's interesting, scriptures never tell husbands to eros their wives. That's the word for romantic love. There's nothing wrong with having romantic love for your spouse. In fact, it brings a lot into the relationship. But generally, that comes naturally as you move towards marriage. Most, at least in our culture, it's, I don't like you, you don't like me, let's get married. You know, generally, we've got some sort of a romantic uh, attraction. It also doesn't instruct us to phileo our wives. It certainly doesn't say fillet them. Uh, but, but it doesn't say phileo, which is the friendship love. Again, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's great to have that friendship love. But agape has to do with placing a value on someone and acting with their highest good in mind. It's a sacrificial love. It seeks what's best for the other, even at great personal expense. And this is the kind of love that Christ shows forth. And it, I think, is, is what is necessary to oftentimes retain the other types of love. Psychologists have, have said that romantic love only self-sustains for about two years. Self-sustains for about two years. Now that doesn't mean it has to end then, but if all you're doing is building your relationship on that emotion, it will only maintain itself for two years, give or take a few months. And we've seen that happen with people. That's why you have a lot of divorces around five years. After two years, it burns out. They, they spend three more years trying to get it back and then give up. But with agape, it can be sustained. And without agape, sometimes friendships go by the way, uh, uh, fall by the wayside. With agape, it keeps them going. Now we're out of time. We'll have to pick up uh, there in two weeks, next week's prayer. But we're going to see that just like the wife's submissive attitude is a fitting response given her new life in Christ, so too the husband's agape love towards his wife is meant to be a fitting response to someone whose life is in union with Christ. Okay, sorry I have to stop at that point. It's not the best place to stop, but out of time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the fact that you can make such a difference in our marriage. Lord, you can enable the wife to minister to her husband's deepest needs. And you can enable the husband to meet his wife's deepest needs. And Lord, may we let, our Holy, let your Holy Spirit teach us how to do that. 
so that we can have marriages that stand out in this sin-cursed world. Now, Lord, we look forward to our continuing time in the Word as we fellowship together um, uh, around the Gospel of Mark and, and uh, spend time singing praises to you. Lord, may that time also be honoring and glorifying to you. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.